Uh, gosh, so SoCal SSM, just so you know a little bit about us, uh, our mission as a school is to become a thriving kingdom family in every people and every sphere. Uh, family is very much a part of what we do, just like very much a part of what you guys do. Uh, and every people in every sphere means we're not supposed to just hide in our worship closet in Pasadena um, until the Lord comes and receives us. Um, <laughs> we, want to be, we want to be out there, and, and it's very important to us that we can connect with every people in every sphere. Uh, and we really believe in building up ministers and, and building them up in their full triune selves. And by that, what I mean is we train their EQ, their SQ, and their IQ, right? Your IQ is your intelligence quotient. It's how much stuff you know. So, you know, you, you got to read the Bible, and, you know, you have to know the stories so you can nod along whenever we're preaching about them. Oh, yes, I believe I recall that one. So we train your IQ, of course. Your SQ is your spiritual quotient. Um, you know, we believe in activating people in their five spiritual senses, activating them in the spiritual gifts. Um, we have found biblical precedent to say that all of those are still supposed to be happening, and so we just go for it. Um, and, you know, uh, Chris Valentin, who's a pastor at Bethel, has been doing talks at Google with the executives at, at Google actually training them on how to think and do business tri-dimensionally is his language for it. So he actually trains them on their spiritual quotient because there's nothing new under the sun, but God doesn't live under the sun. So if you want to be having new ideas, you need to have your spirit open. So Google started doing it, and then Facebook and Google are like rival brothers. So whenever Google something, does something, Facebook wants to do it. So now he's doing it at Facebook too. Um, and Facebook is now having open worship nights and wor like full-day worship sessions in their facility uh, that our, a good friend of ours, Georgian Banoff, has been going there and leading because it's really hot right now to be spiritual. And so, uh, <laughs> we're so cow. It's, spirituality is really hot right now. <laughs> Stupid. But finally, their EQ. So EQ, um, this is a blanket statement that might not be true for you, but in my experience, the blind spot of the charismatic movement is emotional, has been emotional health. Um, especially when we really, really concentrate on believing and presser, pressing through and declaring, sometimes it's not always safe to be sad, right? You guys, you know what I'm talking about? It's not always, especially when you go to a ministry school, it's very unsafe to walk in with a knee brace on because you get bombarded by people like, no, somebody, forgive your uncle and that knee brace will go away. And you're like, yikes. I got just as much faith as you, but my knee still hurts. So anyway, uh, we're, we're doing, you know, all of our efforts are towards combating that behavior. Um, so we really believe in raising up emotionally stable ministers, right? Ones who can actually be regular people to the rest of the world. Um, John G. Lake, one of my all-time heroes, you, you, if you don't know him by name, you probably have heard of him. He had the Spokane Healing Rooms um, in, like, what, 100 years ago. Spokane was officially declared the healthiest city in the nation. The newspapers reporting on him regularly. And was it 30,000 or 50,000 documented healings, right? Um, this guy who would put, they would put AIDS in the palm of his hand under a microscope and watch it die in his hand. And this man's wife dropped dead of malnutrition and exhaustion in his kitchen, cooking dinner for the people that they were ministering for. She just died. Um, and he lost several kids that way because, and I, I'm not speaking ill of our heroes, but I think it's also important to see them as, as real people so that we can aspire to, to that level. Um, he didn't have, that was his blind spot. His emotional health was a blind spot, you know, and it cut its ministry short, I think. And obviously, you know, um, it was a detriment to his family. 
So we're really, really, it's really important to us. Um, and so I think it's important to bring, uh, what I'm talking about today, a very, very short message, and then we're going to do ministry, is I want to talk about a lifestyle of belief. Um, and it's important to view a lifestyle of belief through the lens of being emotionally whole, right? Um, so many times in my life, I've been, like, you're getting a cold. You've been, raise your hand, you've been here before. You're getting a cold. You're feeling it in your throat, feeling it in your nose, and you're like, I don't have a cold. I'm not going to declare that over myself. In fact, let me kiss all of you on the lips. Let me, let's share a cup of water. Out of faith, I'm going to share your water with your infant because I just have faith I'm not sick anymore. And you know what? I think sometimes um, you just need to go home. <laughs> Loving us right now means getting out of here, okay? Go hide in the back when you're sick. Um, but you know, that's, it could be a delicate, you know what I'm talking about, there's this tension. How do I declare what the, that every, all, by his stripes I'm healed when I'm currently not healed? What do I do? And how do I do that while being emotionally whole without having to live in denial, right? Or just being really kind of psychotic, um, <laughs> you know? Um, saying things that are just not true. Um, I have news for you. God is not ashamed of your disappointment when you're not healed. I'm going to go as far as to say, I think God is just as sad as you are when you haven't yet received your healing. Even when he promised it to you. Right? How many people... Here's a vulnerable question. My hand's already up. How many people have received a promise from God and it hasn't happened yet? Okay. How many people have read a promise in the Bible, like, by his stripes were healed, and it hasn't happened yet, right? Um, I think this right here is okay. Having your hand up. So I moved down to become an actor. I had... Uh, if you all remember me when I was a little lad, I've pretty much always been a bit of a showman. <laughs> um, I wasn't just, I just want to, I'm going to do this in one minute. I wasn't just seeking fame. I had a genuine deep words from the Lord that this is what I was supposed to do my whole life. In fact, many people in this room have given me prophetic words that I was to be an actor and I received them. And you know what? I think they were from God. So I moved to LA, bam, 3,000 bucks in the bank, packed up my 99 Camry, we were rolling, okay? <laughs> Got down there, I knew four, a few guys, I'd known them for four days, and we moved into, shared a bedroom with one of them, the other two shared the other bedroom, paid 2,600 bucks for a two-bedroom apartment. That should have been my first sign. <laughs> I moved to LA on a Friday, on that Monday I had an audition for a CBS pilot, on that Tuesday I had the callback with the producers, met with some of the high-level directors at CBS. They were just, like, eaten out of my hand. It was, the role was for a twin, and, I'm a tw and it, the lead had a twin sister. And anyway, I ended up shortlisted for that role, and I was, like, on the top few. I didn't, get, didn't book the part. And I did somewhere between 50 and 100 auditions in my first year, probably somewhere around there. And just so you know, an audition is it's not like a job interview. It's like, okay, I'll take a half day off work, I'll drive down to Santa Monica, and I'll pay $7.50 for parking. Okay, then I'm going to find this building, it'll take me about 15, 20 minutes. Then I'm going to sit in a row with a group of guys who are dressed just like me, but they're all a little bit better looking. <laughs> and then I'm going to go up in front of this room, and I'm going to give them a little bit of intro, and I'm going to go, 
Your car's ready, sir. Thanks so much. <laughs> Nailed it. And you walk out. And that's auditioning, right? Around 50 or 100, all of a sudden my confidence in those words from the Lord started getting a little shaky, right? Um, because now I had collateral damage, which was my expectations were beginning to be not met. I started getting real disappointed. But I realized, okay, I better hide this disappointment from God. I don't want him to see it because then he'll think I didn't believe, right? So I just, I did what, uh, you know, any stable person would have done. I bottled that up. That was your second joke of the day. I'm going to read real quick a, a scripture uh, from John 14. I'm reading it in the Passion Translation. Um, how many know, okay, what's the most important thing you can do according to the Bible, the most important thing that you can do in life? And here's a hint. It's, the answer is not love. What's the most important thing that you can do? Believe. In fact, we are not called lovers. We're called believers. If we were called lovers, some of us would get real uncomfortable with that title. <laughs> we are, after all, called believers. John 14 11 and 12, believe, this is Jesus, that I live as one with my Father and that my Father lives as one with me, or at least believe because of the mighty miracles I've done. If you can't believe what I'm telling you, at least believe what's shooting out of my hands, he's saying. I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do. You know what's funny? I always reread that as... The person who follows me in faith, obeying every command and never falling short, will do the same miracles that I do. Checks out. <laughs> That's not what it says. And this is Jesus. He doesn't say, I tell you this timeless truth. The few who follow me in faith. He just says, any old person who, who believes what I say will do miracles. That's a serious promise with really only one condition. You just have to believe that it's true right? So clearly, belief is not something to shake a stick at. It's actually a big deal. Um, John 3, you guys know this one really well, but you haven't always necessarily heard it through this lens. John 3, 16 through 18 says, for this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift, so now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. It doesn't say everyone who obeys his commandments, right? We know that. All you really have to do to get saved is say, I, okay, I believe that. And he's like, you're in forever. <laughs> right? Clearly, belief is a big deal. There's several other scriptures I won't reference, but you can find multiple places in the Bible where Jesus and Paul not only talk about the importance of belief, they actually refer to unbelief as sin. For their sin was that they did not believe. Unbelief is what, make, was what made an 11-day journey take 40 years, right? Clearly, belief is a big deal. It wasn't even about obeying God. They could have done something dumb every single day, all 11 days, and if they just believed that they were going to win when they got there, it would have been 11 days. God doesn't send you really hard things to teach you, or really evil things to teach you about how good he is. Sometimes you just didn't believe him when he told you the first time. <laughs> Right? Shabbat. So here I am, right? Like, okay, my hope is gone. My faith is gone. I'm sitting in a Carl's Jr. parking lot 
crying, as you do. <laughs> thinking, I don't know what to do because I don't want to be the guy who didn't believe God. And there's plenty of other, you know, there's plenty of things that I messed up in my, during that career. I started really having a lot of coping mechanisms because I couldn't go to God, right? So I started, started drinking, started doing drugs, just, just basically distracting myself as much as I could um, in a really short amount of time because I was kind of, I felt stuck. Anybody ever been in that situation before where you're like, okay, Rent was due yesterday, and I got a prophetic word on Monday that I was going to have the money. But here I came, crash landing into it, and I didn't have the money. Oh, I've been there so many times. Bank account goes negative, and you go, okay, now what do I do? I have this promise from God who never lies. He's a way maker and a miracle worker, and then a disappointment, and a fair disappointment. It's not like my expectations were that I got a million-dollar check. I just wanted to not get evicted, right? Well, so what do you do? You guys probably talk about this a lot. Maybe this is a recap, but maybe it's going to be different language for, um, for this topic, right? There's two main ways that you can cope that are the primary ways, in my experience, of coping when you've got that conflict, that tension between what the Lord told you was going to happen and what happened. Number one is we distance ourselves from God, right? Done that lots of times. You think, okay, clearly you're not safe, and so I'm going to do the natural fight or flight response. I'm going to create a little bit of distance from you. And obviously, you can't outrun him, right? You can't literally separate yourself from God, no matter how hard you try. But you can close your heart off to him, and in that way, really distance your, your emotional connection to him. You know what I'm talking about? Your spiritual connection never goes away, but your emotional connection is one of the few things that you can give him that he doesn't already have. Right? Somehow it feels safer to close our heart off to, the, to God, even though he's the minister of the brokenhearted. You know, that's one of his names. He's a healer of brokenhearted. But then, you know, times when I've been in that situation, I feel ashamed and embarrassed and guilty. Like, I don't know why I'm not opening up to you, but, um, but you know, that's what I'm going to do. The other, thing, the other part of that is we just kind of blame God. Right? Anybody ever blame God for anything? I've done that so, a lot of times. The second thing we do is we distance ourselves from God and or we lower our expectations, right? That's the natural path of least resistance. Okay, he said I was going to get healed, and I haven't been healed yet, and so maybe he meant when I die. Maybe that's what he was talking about. I'm just going to change what I expect. He said I was going to be a parent, but we haven't had a baby yet. Maybe he just meant I'll be a spiritual parent. Right? I've done that so many times. Maybe I wasn't supposed to be an actor. Maybe I was just supposed to move to L.A. I don't know. Right? We tell ourselves, okay, I'm going to take this heartbreak and I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to make it a learning experience. I'm going to change my expectations in the future. And that way, if something terrible happens, I won't be heartbroken, but then I'll be surprised if God actually does what he said he's going to do. Unfortunately, uh, that's sin. Ooh, I didn't mean for this to land on this like kind of, wah, heavy note. <laughs> but 
When God says something and we don't believe it, according to the Bible, we're sinning. Let me read this other, I had this other verse. I forgot to, oh, I never finished my verse. We can you pull John 3 up again, Amy? Let's hear it for Amy in the house. Killing it since day one. Um, so now, who, everyone who believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. 17, God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn it, but to be its savior and to rescue it. So now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him. How many in here believe in God? Shabbat. So Romans 8, Paul is not the original author of that concept when he says, therefore, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a direct quote from Jesus. By the way, if you believe in me, you can know you are now immune to condemnation, completely immune to it. Meaning if you're feeling condemnation, it is not from God. Because either everything Jesus said is true or we're all really wrong, right? Not half of what God says can be true. So he's not, definitely not God, right? It's either all true or none of it's true. There's no more condemnation. But the unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe, right? Let's ponder on that while I think about where I was going. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, that's right, belief. Belief. Anyway, so it's great to be here. So call us the Sam. What if I just started all over again? That'd be so funny. <laughs> so, okay. How is God good and he makes you a promise and it didn't happen and you are not to be condemned all true at the same time? Right? That's the Holy Trinity of right there that we're, that's the Trinity in the middle of the tension. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. So my acting career, by the way, I laid it down when I went to SSM first year. I said, God, this is going to be an Isaac. I'm going to put it down on the altar. And if I have to kill it, I'll kill it. And if you resurrect it, I'll pick it up again. Truth be told, within three weeks of SSM, my heart was so healed and delivered of the fear of failure and the fear of comparison that a lot of the driving force, like, it's like I had a very healthy dream, but the, the wind behind it was very toxic, right? In fact, Five years ago, my biggest fear, absolute biggest fear in life was coming back to this church without being a successful actor. And here I am. You know, yeah, sure, I had a few hits. <laughs> we had a good run. But unless you change the definition of success... I was not a success. <laughs> but my heart is so full right now. And isn't that cool? That, that was my biggest fear, literally my biggest fear in life. I was so riddled with shame at the idea of coming back without being successful. Ah, oh, they won't believe I was really supposed to go. They'll think I was just trying to be famous. They'll think all oh, my words are wrong. That means I can't really hear from God. I literally must. My identity was stitched to this thing coming true. And it just straight up didn't. Imagine the situation I was in. You know, you would have found coping mechanisms too. It was hard. So I went to SSM, get healed up. Some of these people, you know, had their hand on me while I just like snotted all over the rug for like 45 minutes at a time. That's pretty much, by the way, that's the kingdom of heaven looks like you bubbling on the floor most of the time. <laughs> and so by the time I got out of it, I was like, oh, I still have this dream. Like it's, it's there, 
I, but it's dead, but I don't have any of that wind that was pushing it anymore. I don't have any of that toxic comparison or fear. And so then it was just sort of like stagnant, like, what, do I, what am I supposed to do with it now? I have to realign my motivations. I have to find something else that makes me want to do this, you know? But I had to reconnect with the real, the thing that the Lord made me pregnant with since I was two years old, copying Chris Lloyd on Dennis the Menace, walking in with my bathrobe and my cowboy boots. And ever since I was two years old, I've been mimicking people. I've mimicked many of you in front of your faces and behind. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> So dumb. That was a joke. That was a little humor for you. So anyway, everything was fine. Honestly, my heart really was healed up. I felt very, very good. Okay, I let this acting thing go, and the truth is, yeah, sure, I miss it sometimes, but, you know, I've moved on, and, and I'm, I'm fine leaving that where it was, and everything was going perfect until June of this year. Sam and I, some friends of ours gave us tickets to the Hugh Jackman show. Great show at the Hollywood Bowl. The Hollywood Bowl is a really big amphitheater, like right in the middle of Hollywood. Terribly inconvenient place for an amphitheater. But that's, I used to drive by it for every one of those auditions. Big, awesome amphitheater. I'd never been into it, because, you know, actors don't get to buy tickets for shows. Uh, we don't have any money. So I'd never gone in, but anyway, we got this ticket, and they, it was like $300. They were like, hey, we really want you to go to this show tonight. So we go, we go to the show, and on the way to Hollywood, I start having this crazy anxiety in my chest. And I'm telling Sam, like, oh yeah, that's where I went to an audition, and um, this is the star where I fell asleep on the sidewalk. Um, <laughs> that's the bar I got kicked out of. <laughs> and she's like, okay. Um, anyway, we're walking, literally walking through Hollywood. The Lord made us park like on the other side of Hollywood. Remember, we had parked in this lot. We had to walk through all of this stuff, all of my junk. We literally had to walk through my stuff. And by the time we're in the show, I'm having a full-on anxiety attack. A few, this was a few months ago. This is very recent and raw for me. And we get home from the show, and I'm just, I just start hyperventilating. I lay on my bed, and I'm like, Lord, what is going on? Like, I was fine with, I don't even really want to be an actor. I don't need to be an actor anymore. I, I said, what is this? And he said two things to me. He said, this is a pocket of unprocessed grief that I buried with the dream. And I thought, as long as I let the dream go, I can just let all that other stuff go too. But I said, why do I still have unprocessed grief? I cried for like six months over this. And he said, because you never let me into the disappointment. And that is how you make that holy trinity, that is how you justify those three conflicting realities. God never lies. He told you something was going to happen and it didn't. And you are no longer under condemnation. And here's how you do it. You don't just let God into the dream you let him into the disappointment. He can take it. He is really good God, and he can take it. Do you want proof? Everything you've ever blamed him for, he didn't do. And he still likes you. That, that's a big deal. If you blame me for everything that had gone wrong in your life, I might not like you at this point. <laughs> I might love you, but I probably won't like you. He does both. He loves you, and he likes you. He can take it. My daddy can stand up on his own two feet. He's been blamed for uh, everything anyone has ever done. And he didn't say a word. 
You know what he did? He took all of it with, for the joy set before him, and then he let us murder him. <laughs> and then he went, oh, don't worry. I got death. I can carry death as well, and death won't hold me down either. And so your disappointment cannot hold down God. And so here's what I'm going to say to you. Share the disappointment with God. You would be shocked how emotionally intelligent he is. He will not fix you. Gosh, I'm still working on that. Sam and I have been married a year and a half, so naturally, we've mastered it. <laughs> Nobody asks Sam about that. Just take my word for it. We've mastered it. <laughs> she says something, and I'm finally realizing, oh, that's not an invitation to fix. I'm just supposed to be with her when she's, when she's upset. Okay, that's actually a lot easier than fixing it. God is really good at that. He's not going to fix you. He's not going to tell you what you did wrong. And he's certainly not going to make you feel guilty for not believing. You know why? Because there's no condemnation for people who believe God. And believing God looks like this. You know what, God? You said that was going to happen, and then it didn't. And now my heart hurts. What should I do? You'd be shocked what he would say in response. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land this, and then you guys want to come up, and then... You guys just kind of stand up here real quick, up in the front of the stage. We're going to go for just some words of knowledge, because uh, that's how we roll. Um, Abraham, I'm going to just paraphrase this story. In Genesis 15, Abraham is lamenting to God. He's like, God, I don't have an heir. Do you know why I don't have an heir? Because you've never given me a kid. And this was pre-science. They didn't know, they, didn't do, they couldn't do tests and see which one of them was barren. They just knew, I can't, we can't have kids. I'm assuming it's my fault. And you know what, God? That hurts. And right then, while he's lamenting to God, you've never given me any kids. God says, go outside. And then he says, look up. You see all those stars? That's how many kids you're going to have. Right in the middle of his disappointment. And Abraham listened to him. And then you know what it says after God says, as many as the stars are in the sky will be your offspring. It says, Abraham believed God. It didn't say Abraham rationalized. Abraham just said, I believe you. And one of those stars was David. One of those stars was Moses. One of those stars was Jesus. What if Abraham didn't believe him? He might have never been the father of many nations. You know, 